This is Big Talk, Michael Glab here. My guest this week in the studio, Zainab Istrabadi. Zainab's a senior lecturer in the Department of Near Eastern Languages and Cultures over at Indiana University. Zainab, thanks for being on the show. I'm delighted to be with you. Thank you for inviting me. As regular listeners know, I like to ask the most basic questions. Right. Now, you teach Arabic. I do. Which is the language spoken by Arabs. Uh, well, by Arabs and also non-Arabs uh-huh. uh, speak it because it's the language of the Muslim or the Muslim holy book, the Islamic holy book, the Quran. The people of Morocco almost can't be understood by the people toward the east, toward the Middle East. Th- that's right. I'm originally from Baghdad. Uh-huh. And yes, I must confess that I have uh, a difficult time understanding the Moroccan dialect. And even in areas of Morocco, sometimes I do understand. Uh, the Bedouins speak uh, more clearly to my ear than do people who live in the cities, which have been influenced by French and Spanish. But uh, yes, the, the, the spoken language, the dialects, do differ uh, from one another. And if the ear is not uh, attuned or is used to hearing a particular dialect, then, uh, then we, we, we revert to what's called the modern standard Arabic, hmm. the written language, the language of the newspapers, the language of, of uh, most poetry, the language of formal lectures, uh, the news. Um, believe it or not, in Lebanon, One of the stations switched uh, the news to the vernacular, to the Lebanese dialect, and found that people did not believe the news when it was given in the dialect, whereas the same news given in modern standard Arabic was accepted more or less as truth. As I said, we love first questions on this show. For instance, I asked several friends this morning, what's an Arab? Guess what? Nobody could say. Well, we have a hard time saying as well. The most basic response is an Arab is anyone who says they are an Arab. For some, an Arab is somebody who is of Arab blood. In other words, they can trace their ancestry back to some tribe. I can't do that, for example. But I consider myself an Arab because I speak Arabic I dream in Arabic. I swoon to Arabic music or songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, some Arabic poetry makes me weep um, <laughs> in a way that, let's say, English or French poetry doesn't. I'm culturally an Arab, so I say I'm an Arab, but actually I consider myself a mongrel. That is to say, in my ancestry, I know for a fact that um, I'm part Kurdish, I'm part Turkmen. There are a couple of drops of Arab blood. Huh. Um, and then who knows? You know, maybe maybe there's Greek in me. After all, Alexander the Great, you know, went through the area. I mean, and, and the bottom line for me is um, it's a cultural thing. You know, I'm, I'm, all, I'm an Anglophile. 
<laughs> because I went to a British school when I was uh, in Baghdad. My mother is is a she or was a Shakespearean scholar. So after I was taught about the existence of God, uh, I then was taught about Shakespeare. So it's a cultural thing for me. It's not it's not a national, uh-huh. you know, thing. Uh, I'm originally Iraqi, but I'm also American. And uh, I feel like my being Iraqi encompasses far more than my saying I'm an Arab. Now, you, you said I'm, I'm from Baghdad. Yes. Are, are you saying you were born in Baghdad? Actually, I was not. Uh, I was born in England. Uh-huh. So technically, also, I mean, I am. I do have a, a British passport, so I am one of Her Majesty's most loyal subjects as well. <laughs> yeah. you're, a, you're a woman of the world. S- I certainly would like to think so. I mean, we're all, uh, from the, this perspective, is that we're all human beings. Our blood is red. I don't care about the superficiality of skin color. And I like to treat people the way I like to be treated, namely with respect. You come from this fabulous family. Your mother, a Shakespearean scholar. Yes. Your father, Rasul Istrabadi, was Bloomington's first professional city-employed engineer. Yes, he Way was a city engineer. 1972 or Correct. so, I when, believe. When after uh, Frank McCloskey was elected mayor. Yes. That's right. Russell, where did he yes. come from? Well, my father was um, well, a civil engineer. He yeah. had got his degrees from uh, the University of Baghdad uh-huh. and LSU. He was Louisiana on State. Louisiana State uh-huh. in Baton Rouge. He was uh, on a Fulbright. Mm-hmm. And uh, my mother was on a Fulbright at the University of Wisconsin getting her master's degree. No kidding. And then they both, they met in, in, in Ann Arbor at the University of Michigan. And that's where they got married and then went back to Iraq. And then, and then we came here in 1970. We settled in Bloomington. Uh, my mother wanted to get her Ph.D. She had always wanted to finish. And um, so we came here to IU. And, um, you know, I'm a graduate of North, first graduating class of North, class of 73. My brother Is that so? graduated from South. We both went to IU. And um, when I asked, you know, well, what are you? I'd like to say we're Baghdadi Hoosiers. <laughs> Your brother is uh, Faisal Istrabadi. Yes. Speaking of people of the world. Yes. Oh, yes. He was part of a world body. After the Saddam Hussein regime was toppled, he became the United Nations ambassador from Iraq. Yes. And actually, he was involved in the writing of uh, part of the Constitution regarding uh, civil rights. Uh, and, and human rights, which I think, unfortunately, isn't being followed and hasn't been followed for a while. But he had a hand in that, and and he, uh, it was a risk to his life and to to others involved in this. For years, uh, uh, he had so, been in opposition to the Hussein regime. Yes, he had, and I must say, my mother blamed me for that. Uh oh, you troublemaker. I, yes, I, I guess I am. <laughs> Are you the hothead of the family? I, I would like to think not. <laughs> are you a hothead at all? No. You are quite a civilized person. So civilized, in fact, that I've got to say, your students love you. Well, I keep on hearing that well, and reading thank you. that. I, I, I love them. 
I I never got married, so I never had children, and they become a, they become an extended member of my family, and I really care about them, not just what they do in my own class, but I care about their well being, and uh, you know insist that that I'm there not just to teach them Arabic, but to help them through their their college years. Zainab, they like you so much that in 2005, they voted you the Student Choice Award for Outstanding Faculty Member. Yeah. Isn't that fun? Well, that was very moving, and I had I'm no sure. idea. I had no idea they had done that. No kidding. Yeah. Faisal, also like you, is a faculty member. He's yes. at the Maurer School, I believe, of <clears throat> That's law. That's right, and he's also the director of the Center for the Study of the Middle East. And you... Now, you're an Arabic language teacher. Yes. In fact, you even teach it on the most basic of levels, too, yes, right? Yes, that's my favorite, first yeah. year. Yeah. yeah. And I had just assumed that that was your, uh, your study all through your higher education. What did you get your bachelor's degree Bio- in? Biological sciences. Uh, Why? Well... Every parent wants their son or daughter to become a doctor. <laughs> so so um, I had done very well in the sciences in high school, and then uh, it got a little harder at IU. And the realization that um, I've always loved the humanities, and it was really very, very difficult to choose a major. And um, it just, it just, it's as if fate sort of indicated to me that I would wind up killing my patients if I became a doctor <laughs> because I couldn't memorize. In organic chemistry, it became clear I couldn't just memorize things. You got your master's degree in Arabic languages and literature. Right. You got your Ph.D. right here again at Indiana University in Near Eastern Languages and Cultures. Your dissertation, as a matter of fact, was The Principles of Sufism. Correct. Now again, we're, let's go back to that first question thing. Who are the Sufis? And what is Sufism? Yeah, I'm going to answer what is Sufism. Okay. Uh, Sufism is <clears throat> the, the path of mysticism in Islam. Uh-huh. So it is, it is practicing or ways in which to cleanse the heart Uh, This is one definition, so that it shines and reflects divine light. So would Sufis, people who practice Sufism, would they be looked askance by the mainstream of Islam? No, it's part of mainstream. It It, is part part of of, mainstream. It's part of the Islamic tradition. Would it be uh, comparable to uh, the Jesuits and the Catholics? Yes, Uh Yes, for you know there are orders just like in Catholicism, the Dominicans, uh, the Franciscans, Uh you know, etc. So it is within Islam as well. You are a faithful adherent of Islam. I am. I try to be. Yes. When I look at some of your posts on uh, social media, you put things in the Arabic language, which I wish I could read. It's a beautiful-looking language. Yes, it is. It's almost like decoration. Yes, and and it's as if it's made for calligraphers. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. absolutely. So the Sufis are the equivalent of priests? Mm, Not quite. Um, They are the 
equivalent of what? Let me think. Uh, monks. 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 Uh-huh. Thank you. Monks uh-huh. and nuns. Yes. Aha. Uh-huh. But but Muslims are encouraged to get married as opposed to not. Speaking of you talking about loving the humanities, you're a poet. Yes, but I haven't written anything for a while. But some of your poetry has been published. Here are a couple of titles that I found, at least, in a publication called, and you helped me with this before the show, El Jadid? Correct. Okay. And what does that mean? It means the new, that is to say, the new publication. Uh Uh-huh. You had a, a poem published in that publication called Whither I Turn. Yes. You had another one called The Poet and His Nightingale. Yes. Poetry plays very importantly in the Arabic world, the Arabic language world. Yes, yes. Is it like <clears throat> music? Yes, I would say it's like classical music in the West. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and um, if somebody, if you're having a discussion with someone, it's going to be in, in, in the dialect. Uh-huh. And then if whoever you're arguing with says, well, the poet says, and then out comes out this line of poetry um, in, in, in classical Arabic or modern standard Arabic, then the argument is closed. The poet <laughs> gets the last word. What poets would you recommend if someone wants to get a little bit of taste of Arabic poetry? Well, I would say the poetry of Nizar. Nizar. Nizar Qabbani, Q-A-B-B-A-N-I. And he has been translated into English. And sometimes they'll have the Arabic text and the English text uh, side by side. Um, he is from Syria, from Damascus, and died in the mid-90s um, in London because he was in sort of double exile. Uh-huh. Um, he, he lived in, um, in uh, Lebanon, in Beirut, was married uh, to an Iraqi woman who was a distant relative of my mother's, oh. and she was killed in a bomb blast, oh. and I believe that's when he left Lebanon for London, and that's where he died. Hey, you know, if you don't mind, I want to swing back to something you had mentioned mm-hmm. earlier. You had said your mother blamed you yes, <laughs> for somehow turning the head of your brother face out. Well, he was, I mean, practicing law in northern Indiana. And uh, this is when I was at Columbia University. And the um, Arab Student Association there, or Arab Student Organization, invited the Iraqi ambassador to the United Nations uh, to speak. This is way back during, in, in other words, the, the Ba'athist uh, yeah. uh, representative yeah. representing Saddam's government. Right. I was so outraged by this invitation. Well, I, I raised Kane is what <laughs> I did, phone calls and emails. And they, uh, the, the organization came back and said, um, well, if you can find us somebody at this late date to have a debate with him, we would accept that. Debating this so, ambassador? Th- yes. Uh-huh. And so I, I, I called my brother and said, do you want to do it? <clears throat> and he said yes. And this is why my mother blamed me for getting him involved in the opposition. So you already knew, though, that he was not a fan of the Baathists. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 
most most of the Iraqis, you know, living, <clears throat> excuse me, abroad, had a reason for living abroad. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's to save our lives. Yeah. I mean, my parents, had they stayed, they might, at, at, at best they would have been jailed because they refused to join the Ba'ath Party. They were invited to, and they said, no, thank you, we're not involved in politics. And the attitude of the Ba'ath Party was, if you're not with us, you're against us. Yeah, yeah. Which is why when we saw, when we heard these same words from George Bush, George W. Bush, yeah. um, our we were shocked. We were right. absolutely shocked. How could an American president use the same words that the leader of the Ba'ath Party used in Iraq? Uh, many things sh- have shocked us since. You know, where I don't like to have the. I don't like to make comparisons between the United States and Saddam's Iraq. Right, right. I don't want those two words in the same sentence. Yeah. And when they do occur, because we see what has happened or what is happening, it, um, it, I mean, it really breaks my heart. And this is it. There's nowhere else to go. You know, there's, uh, I can't get on a spaceship and say, well, <laughs> I don't, okay, I'm not going to cause any trouble. I just want to bail out. This is it. This is my home. Yeah. I, 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 I refuse to leave. And my father, back in 91, we, we did get a phone call saying that this is the first, the first Gulf War, that concentration camps or we use a different word here in the United States for them. What do we call them when the Japanese were interned? Relocation camps? No, there was an, or internment camps. Internment yeah. camps, yes, yes. Uh, have been prepared for Arab Americans in Louisiana and Alabama. And my first reaction to that was, oh, my God, the humidity will kill me. Then when I mentioned it to my father, my father said, well, this country took us in where we had nowhere else to go. And when we became citizens, <clears throat> we became like any other American. Yeah. And if they want to put me in a concentration camp, I will gladly go. And I said, Dad, maybe you feel that way. And I'm grateful to be here, but I will go kicking and screaming. I will not go silently. Did you ever understand why he said that? Could you ever resolve that in your mind? I just think he had a tremendous sense of gratitude to yeah, this country, yeah. which I share. Yeah. But he was willing to give up his right, huh. uh, whereas I am not. I, I wasn't, and I am. I am not ready to give up any of my the rights that that you and I share, just because I come from another background. How long did your father stay with us? Uh, he uh, died in 2006. And your mother? Mom died two years ago. You uh, lived with her for a while, helping her out? Well, I came back to Bloomington in 2001, just before the 9-11 thing. I came back in May. Yeah. And was wondering what I was going to be doing. And then 9-11 happened, in which, by the way, I lost a friend. So, uh, frankly, it's thanks to... 9-11 that, um, that IU needed somebody extra in the NELC department. And so I came bo- on board in October of 2001. 
And that, uh, as you say, you, uh, you're using the acronym that's the Near Eastern Languages and Cultures yes, Department. Yes, NELC. NELC, yes. Yeah. Now, before that, now here's the thing. You served uh, as a research and administrative coordinator for a gentleman yes. named Edward Said. Yes. In fact, uh, I found a very, an absolutely heartrending eulogy you had written about him back in 2003. Yes. And I'm going to quote from it. You say, God bless you, Professor Saeed. You have touched the minds, hearts, and souls of many people. You will not be forgotten. For about uh, 14, 15 years, you worked for him. That's right. Who was Edward Saeed? Well, first of all, he was uh, a professor of comparative literature, of English and comparative literature at Columbia University. Mm -hmm. But he was a Renaissance man. Uh He knew about, obviously, you know, English literature, Arabic literature, because he's Palestinian. He was born in Jerusalem, in what today is called West Jerusalem, and had to leave after 1948. And um, he is a cultural or was a cultural critic, a music critic. Uh, he tried to open my, my ears and my mind to Wagner, but I absolutely refused. And um, I don't care for Wagner, and regretfully my brother is into him now. Is that so, a matter of taste know, yes, or it's a matter a, of politics? No, 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 it's a matter of taste. Okay. In fact, I, I, there was a, a three-day conference about Wagner at the Columbia campus, and um, he and Daniel Barenboim put it together, and there was a discussion between the two, uh, which I attended, and it was, it was just marvelous. It was just amazing. Anyway, so he was a, a music critic, a cultural critic, a literary critic, And um, the book that has made the most impact actually all over the world, and not just only in his discipline, is the book Orientalism. Right. He really opened up a a part of the world for you. For me, definitely. Definitely, yes. What's very important to him, he was a human rights advocate. Uh The question I wonder in these days of Trump, is it a bump in the road or is it the road? Do we know? I don't know, but the doors have been opened in other countries. Yeah. I mean, many countries. Yeah, Hungary and uh, Poland. And, and uh, Well, and, and, and the Middle East. And the Middle you East. Know, and, and elsewhere, probably, that, that we do. Uh, uh, Myanmar. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and other places that uh, we don't hear about. Uh, well, even Russia. There, there's oh, a yes. resurgence of, of, you know, Russian nationalism. Absolutely. And there's nothing wrong with, with feeling proud of one's country and et cetera, et cetera. However, if I, as an American, think I'm better than somebody else who may be Bulgarian, uh-huh. that's problematic. Yes. That's a problem. And, you know, as a human being, I totally reject that. Well, there's a, there's a tremendous difference between nationalism and love of country. Right. Right. What a world. Yeah. Let's live with cats. Absolutely. <laughs> cats and Star Trek. That's that's You're wearing, that's my remedy. Are you wearing a Star Trek cap? I am. I just I ordered it last week. You're reaching for it now. Yes, and it arrived yesterday. What this what is, is this? Uh, it's Star Trek Voyager. Aha, uh-huh, aha. Uh-huh. I like uh, Captain Janeway. 
you have been reading science fiction of late, or Star Trek specifically? Well, yeah, I wouldn't call it science fiction. I'm catching up on reading I should have done when I was 16, 17, 18. <laughs> you have to enjoy so, yourself. Absolutely. So I, I love sort of uh, going off into this imaginative world of uh, Captain Kirk, Mr. Spock, or Captain Picard. One thing I want to touch upon, uh, Zainab, I thought, uh, you know, 1979, this country started, I thought at the time, turning against Arabs. Yes. But you corrected me when I mentioned that earlier. You said, wait a minute. It's been there for a long, long it's, time. It's been there for a long time, and it was the first semester uh, where I was at South, I got spat upon uh, while being called uh, a dirty Arab. And this is before and any real problems uh, between us and certain right, peoples in right, the Middle East began. Right, right. I stepped off the bus, and he was a classmate, and also he was on the bus with me twice a day, going to school and then returning home. And from the, you talk about being terrorized for the yeah. rest of the year. Yeah. Because I never knew when he might do that again. And I think he did it on a dare. Uh-huh. Uh, I remember the name. I mean, I know who he is. You know, I just went inside and washed my face. Equally as insulting, I would think, the year 2014, you got a letter from your bank. Yeah, no, that was not insulting. That was hurtful. That was really hurtful because uh, the incident was uh, getting a uh, a note from uh, and a phone call and then a note from Chase Bank uh, saying that our business was no longer welcome at Chase and we had been at this bank since it, since it was the first National Bank of Bloomington. It had back gone through 19, different if, owners. That's right. Yeah. It became Bank One, and then it became. Uh, Chase and I kept asking and calling, saying, "Well, what have we done?" When you say and we, my mother and I, okay. and, and at this point, my mother was, you know, bedridden, yeah. following having a devastating stroke. Yeah, and uh, nobody could tell me what the problem is. And then finally, it sort of came out that it's because of our, you know, background. Frankly, my brother was also kicked out of uh, out of Chase, and then we discovered that many of us, you know. Uh, friends in Michigan and in New York and elsewhere had also been kicked out of Chase. So I, I'm pretty loyal. I always go to the same grocery store. I go get the ga my gas at the same gas station, et cetera, et cetera. So I went there, and I actually wept and, and told the bank manager, and it wasn't his fault, the bank. Right. I, I said, I feel like I've been on a boat called America for 40, would have been what? four years, and somebody grabbed me and threw me overboard. I was sent by the manager of Chase to uh, Fifth Third and was greeted there as, a, as if I were a queen. Mm -hmm. It was amazing, and that, of course, made me cry as well. One must have to be awfully resilient to weather these insults, these hurts. How do you well, do what it? Do you, you, you have to. I mean, you just go on. What, what's the choice? Curl up in a ball. <laughs> no, no that, that doesn't work. My guest this week has been Zainab Istrabadi, 
Zainab, thank you so much for thank being on so Big Talk. Thank you so much for having me and uh, for flattering me. Thank you.